0: What did the buffalo say to his son when he left for college? Bye son. It's that and several other jokes that you're going to hear today on Dr. D's social network. My guest today is Dr. Haley Roberts. And not only is she an excellent psychologist, but she's also pretty funny. Today we try to lighten the mood in a time that seems very grim, but there can always be laughter. And there can certainly always be love. I hope you join me today in enjoying the conversation with Dr. Haley Roberts. Haley Roberts, thank you for being on the show today. I appreciate it.
1: Of course. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: So how is living right now? How's it going for you?
1: Oh man, I was actually just thinking as we were preparing for this conversation that if we had spoken two weeks ago, it would feel like a completely different um, place to be speaking from. So um, it's crazy. I actually I'm pretty lucky in that um, being a psychologist, I'm considered an essential service. Um, so I my work has barely changed, um, in the structure of it. However, the content definitely has become a, a whole different world.
0: (laughs) Tell me a little bit about the content. I'm sure the listeners would love to hear about how other people, obviously without providing too much, I know you gotta be careful about that, but just kind of the generality. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, so, um, it's actually interesting. Um, some of the surprising things have been how some people's mental health has improved um, since mm. the the COVID changes because now suddenly a lot of people are like, um, now everybody feels what I feel every day. Oh. Um, and so a little bit like um, playfully misery loves company kind of a thing um, in that they they're not feeling as alone because now the things that they're scared about and the things that they're worried about and the isolation that they feel normally um everybody's feeling together um but that's kind of like the the rare situation i think the more common thing is just a lot of um fear of the unknown and also um what i'm coming up against a lot with a lot of my patients is trying to Um, play a new game with the old rules, um, if that makes sense.
0: Tell me, explain a little bit about a new game with old rules. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah, so everybody is basically trying to approach work and their relationships and their um, day-to-day living as though it is just a slightly different month ago except it's a completely different situation. Exactly. Yeah. So for instance, like um, this is a random example that I'm coming up with based off of like an amalgamation of my patients. But like, let's say the mom deals with the kids when she gets home from work in the evenings um, during the normal times. Um, and so her thing is like make dinner, feed the kids, read them a story, get them ready for bed. Um put them to bed. And that's her thing after work normally. Now she's interacting with them all day in between trying to do her work from home. um, And they don't have any childcare. So now there's never a moment where they get to just be, you know, not a parent or a wife or a employee, but just be themselves. And they're trying to keep things as normal as possible. However, it's not normal. Um, So a lot of the conversations I'm having with people are you got to sit down and create new rules and new boundaries and new structure because we're in an unstructured time and the old structure is not working.
0: Makes complete sense. And um I think a lot of people can take that amalgamation of things and apply it to their situation, I would say at yeah. this point, uh-huh. on many levels uh, for that. Do you... Is there a fear amongst a variety of people that this will last a long time in their mind and how that will emotionally affect them?
1: Um, it differs based on circumstance. So sure, um, sure. like the th- – this situation, I think, is bringing out how similar everyone's situations are and also really bringing out how different everyone's situations are, Um so for instance a lot of my patients who are students um, very little of their day to day is changing um, other than you know becoming online classes rather than in person classes whereas my other patients who are business owners now suddenly that it's do or die kind of, um, make or break, I guess is a, a less scary way to put yeah, that. Yeah. Um, and for them, a lot of people I heard say like, you know, if this goes until the original date here in Colorado was April 17th, um, if it goes until April 17th, we'll be fine. If it goes longer than that, I don't know. Um, and now obviously it's been extended until at least April 30th. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of fear for those people because the unknown is much greater rather than just like, when will this all be over? It's, will I survive through this?
0: Yeah. yeah, It's very difficult. I mean, I think in the latest press conference or things, the projections about what's potentially going to happen in our country is very sobering Mm -hmm. for a lot of people. And you know, I'm I'm conflicted sometimes with people when we chat about it, and because I'm more of kind of the view of it's like, listen, you know, th- something like this is not a quick fix. You know, it's no. it's difficult to say, well, you know, April thirtieth mm-hmm. or <laughs> May fifteenth. It's like the reality of the situation is it's it's probably going to be very extended. I've yeah. told many people like your kid's not going back to school. You should just no, d- you've got to recognize that like there's not it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to have a very extended time with a lot of people in your life that you're living with type of thing. And coming to grips with that, I think can be, could be very challenging.
1: Absolutely. And that's exactly kind of what I was talking about, about creating new rules for a new situation. So um, something that comes up is uh, parents who don't really like their kids to have screen time. um, I totally support that. And I totally understand that. However, like you also need to survive. So if, if it's what it's going to take for you as a parent to survive is put your kid in front of the Mickey mouse club for half an hour, like who made up the stupid arbitrary rule that there should be zero screen time. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Um, And yes, I do. I do think don't plop your kid down in front of a TV all day. I definitely am not supporting that. Um, don't yell at me parents um <laughs> but, um and i also it's it's the um put your oxygen mask on first um example mm, of yes if you have if you run out of oxygen before you put your mask on your child not only do they not get oxygen but neither do you so now nobody wins. Whereas if you take a second as a parent, as a spouse, as a friend, as a human, um, to put your own oxygen mask on first, it takes five seconds, five minutes. Um, It actually gives you more resources to then help your child more, help your friend more, help your neighbor more. Um, Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'll tell you a good example. So this, I have an eight-year-old daughter, mm-hmm. and this morning, you no, know, she had you know a bunch of schoolwork to do in the morning, and she's like, "Can I watch the movie Home in between some of this reading?" All these, I said, like, "Yeah, go for it. I don't care." Mm-hmm. I'm like, "It's you got to be to have some fun and enjoy. Like it's just different, and you can't be so stringent. And I feel like that will stress you out even more. You know,
1: absolutely. And teaching our children flexibility is such a powerful tool, right? Like. Basically what you taught her is if you can get your work done and have fun in between, figure it out. The fun only becomes a problem when you're not getting what you need to get done done. Um, And that's a powerful tool because if we as humans stick to specific rules all the time, when things inevitably don't go according to plan, we have no resources to deal with it. However, if we learn kind of how to balance change, um, that's a powerful tool in any situation. And like my approach to psychology is all about like identifying what you can control and what you can't control and choosing the things that bring you value in one way or another.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Do you think that it's very difficult for people to adapt, or do you think it's something that, um, on a large scale, people are going to change very quickly with this, or you feel like it's going to be of a grind for people?
1: Mm -hmm. Um, the magical phrase in psychology, it depends. (laughs) Um,
0: Yes. yes.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I think this is going to be, um, forged by fire, right? Like you are, you're going to have to figure out how to change something because there's just no way that the old rules are going to work. Um, right now. So yes, I do think people will adapt quickly. However, I think the level of distress related to the adapting um, will be very different. So if somebody is a more flexible thinker, a more flexible person, um, it'll be more easy for them to adjust and and be more flexible with their approach to life. For those people who are more um, strict or that change is harder. Um, it's definitely going to be more of a challenge for them. However, knowing that about yourself, I think is the first key. Like, am I a person that struggles with change or am I a person that's okay with change? And if you're a person who really likes structure, figure out now what your new structure looks like, make one big change now. So that moving forward, you can maintain that structure as opposed to, um, every day kind of trying to stick to the old structure and realizing that everything is different. And now it, every day feels like change and stress. Um, I'm kind of like, put all of that change into one moment and set a new structure moving forward for the next few weeks.
0: Do you think that, well, let me rephrase this. Now I was going to okay. go about saying that. Uh, <laughs> you know, you talk about old rules, new rules. Mm-hmm. Have you ever discussed with people that that they may not be going back to their old rules in this new world as things, when things do change for the better.
1: Oh, absolutely. There's never a day that we can go back to the way things were before now ever. Um, whether that's because of COVID-19 or whether that's because of a death of a family member or a friend, or whether that's just because yesterday is gone Um we will never be able to go back to the person that we were before now. Um, Do I think that there will be a way to go back to how things were before COVID-19? I don't know. I'm just gonna leave it at I don't know. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Because actually one of the struggles for me as a human who is a therapist during this time is that um, I can't separate my experience from the struggles of my patients at this time because I'm also holding all of the, th- I'm also going through the same fears and concerns and stressors as they are. Um, so I think that is making this time really hard for me as a person. Um, Cause normally I can create some separation between those two things and it's right. just not possible right now. Um, So that's really kind of coming into play with this question right now, because my thing is like, I don't know if it like today, I, a patient and I were kind of joking and we're like, this is the new, um, future. Like, this is how we as humans live from now until the end of forever. And we were like joking about it. And then I was like, oh my goodness. You're like, no, (laughs) (laughs) what if this is it? Um, and while we were joking, like, that is a possibility. It's by by no means do I think it is likely going to happen. Um, however, we don't know what it's going to look like. And so I can't really speak to what changes we will have to keep versus what changes we'll get rid of moving forward.
0: I think it's an interesting discussion because it's a discussion about – change and Mm -hmm. what's uncertain in people's lives. And Mm -hmm. you know, I I am in the exercise fitness business Mm -hmm. have been for almost 20 years. And I would I I am leaning towards the fact that things will be very different on the other side of this in my profession Mm -hmm. and how people view things. And we already know, we know this from some information that's starting to filter out that 25% of gyms will not reopen on the other side of this Mm -hmm. now that is in itself will change the behavior and how people are viewing gyms and the spaces and how we congregate in spaces and those things and i kind of think it's it's different but it's but there's in the core of it is like in 9-11 i was it it was very moving for me Mm -hmm. um it was 9-11 was extremely personal for me my father worked in the pentagon when the plane hit. the Pentagon, and um, I don't think I've ever told this story on air, but I think it's a good I'm sorry, I'm interviewing you, but I'm going to tell a story. So
1: that's okay. I love people's uh, stories,
0: and I'm um, sure you listen all the time. Sure, so um, <laughs>
1: I talk a lot too.
0: True. Uh, but <laughs> you know, he's and they file out of the building of the area by rank for mm-hmm. that. And so my dad was a very high ranking officer, and so it was him. My dad's a colonel, and then his general was the last one. And so my dad barely got out. And I remember him telling the story of the he could see red lights blaring and the ceiling caving in. Oh gosh. When he was leaving, and his general did not make it out. He died uh, from that. And there was a good day or two. I, you know, cause you couldn't call in to DC and stuff and you mm-hmm. couldn't find out anything. I didn't know if my father was alive or not. So, wow. you know, getting a call from him from a, an apartment they had for military personnel was very relieving. Yeah and i just remember flying again during after 9/11 mm-hmm. and the airplanes were empty pretty much and but security as everyone knows who travels security changed dramatically yes. at airports mm-hmm. dramatically i mean i remember going up to the terminal doors to meet people yeah before yeah then. Uh-huh. By the way, that was amazing. That was so awesome. I missed that so much.
1: <laughs> it's changed the way movies are done. You know, there's yeah. no more running to the gate to no. stop your, your lover. <laughs> Remember that is like,
0: I'm running towards you. Oh
1: my yeah. God. It's like,
0: oh, you know, so dumb funny. and dumber. Jim Carrey runs up to the thing, yeah. falls off the, you know, the tarmac thing yeah. or whatever. It's like, so things funny. change. Uh-huh. And I think we're going to see that seismic level of change in, in some areas of life. I, I was watching a big concert with a uh, friend of mine, probably about when this really started coming along. And I said, I wonder if that's gonna happen again, like that level or size. Look at all those people crammed together like that. You know, I'm <laughs> like, I don't know, but I know that something will be changed forever yeah. from this. You know?
1: and I mean, definitely, some changes will definitely occur. I, you know, using nine eleven as an example, People today fly on 9-11, all flights sold out kind of situation um, because we've not forgotten, but we've gotten used to a world where, yes, security is more tough, but flying itself is no longer as scary because um, it's not as immediate. And I think um, everything kind of has to level out eventually. And so we've had a lot of change here. So yes, there will definitely be reactive change for a while. And then I think ultimately it will level out again. Right. Um, however, we're a changed world. you know. When somebody compared this to um, the plague, but I said, yeah, but in the plague, we weren't connected. So it lived and died in one area. And then it was done, which for them was their whole world. However, now we're so connected that Within, you know, an hour, a flight full of 300, 400 people left an infected area and suddenly it was all over the world.
0: Yeah. It's true. It's It's very different. It's very different in those sense. And I often wonder about the psychology of uh, a generation of people. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I think about people who've gone through the Great Depression of 1929 and the Spanish flu of 1918 and Mm -hmm. World War II. And, you know, what was really interesting to me as I was on a phone call with someone, you know, it was in the millennial generation and they were cracking me up. It was so funny. They were like, all of a sudden I'm thinking about people in World War II and stuff, the nation came together and they, you know, people were working in factories and making this big sacrifice. And my generation's at spring break saying they can't sacrifice Miami. And I
1: Jesus was like, man. oh gosh. Don't put that on the millennials. That's the Gen Zers. How dare you? That was pretty funny though. I was dying no, laughing.
0: I was cracking up, man.
1: Well, it's, <laughs> it's, I mean, it's so, that makes me so angry, but yeah, it also, it's so, it's so true, right? Like, I don't know. But I also think that we are really coming together as a country in ways that I think is like so – as a world. We're coming together as a world in ways that I think is is so beautiful. Um, You know, people supporting people that they normally wouldn't or um, finding ways to support because I'm a huge – comedy fan like stand-up comedy um and seeing how people are getting creative about supporting comedians during this time because you know they have no income with no um, shows and you know putting on live twitch shows daily and you know subscribing for five dollars a month you know just little yeah. things like that really kind of coming together I think it's I think it's so cool I was thinking the other day what is funny about this kind of people thinking back on, you know, World War II and, and the Great Depression. And I'm thinking like my kids one day will be like, wow, mom, you were around for 9-11 and the Great Isolation of 2020. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be like, yeah, I was, I guess. And then like, what, what was it like? It's like, well, I stayed inside. <laughs> that'll be all i have to offer <laughs>
0: I stayed inside a bunch of people i stayed inside i watched okay. netflix a lot yeah i uh I refused you know,
1: to watch the tiger king <laughs> oh <no.
0: laughs> you know just have all these things i yeah. you know it's just it's weird like
1: yeah it's you know it's not
0: like this it's not like it's just different you know like imagine the people in the dust bowl and the mm-hmm. the trudging along of that and the it's hard to think, I just think about the different generations have had their thing mm-hmm. that they've had to endure yeah. uh, for that. And, you know, I was just listening to a podcast with uh, Sanjay Gupta on the coronavirus and he was interviewing uh, Dr. Fauci uh-huh. and they were t- he was talking about his 2017 lecture that he predicted that there would be another very large outbreak uh, because that all the presidents that he served there was some level of outbreak of a virus, a disease, during each one of the presidents. So he said there will be something. He said, and he said he feared that it would be a respiratory influenza-based one. That that would be the worst of all the ones. Interesting. And it was prophetic about that. Yeah. In the sense, and now we're going through that, and it has completely altered the landscape of our reality.
1: Oh, absolutely. This is our
0: thing, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so interesting to see kind of how different um, states and countries and um, situations are handling it. Like um, South Africa, for instance, is the whole country is locked down. Ports are closed. People are allowed on their own property, but they're not allowed out off their property, which is different than here in Colorado. Um, except for obviously essential services, um, which are even more limited there than um, here in Colorado. So it's very interesting. I'm going to be interested, you know, if, when, and if this ever ends to look back and see how different countries handled it and the effects that that had on the spread. Uh Um, It'll be very... It'll be a learning curve for sure. <laughs> don't, don't
0: watch 12 Monkeys, people, if you don't want to see like this like, weird dystopic future.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Like, not the TV show, the one with Bruce Willis and Brad Pitt. Amazing. Yeah. Because it was basically a virus and it wiped out humanity, essentially, and it never went back to normal. Like, it just became this weird, disgusting, dystopic future.
1: I know. Don't watch well, I was, it. If
0: you don't...
1: <laughs> I, I mean, now I'm, I'm definitely going to watch it.
0: Like, I got to see this.
1: Yeah, I was sitting um, looking out my window today, and it's kind of a, a bit of a cloudy day here. And I was like, "Oh, this looks like every post-apocalyptic movie ever." There's like it's true one car outside. <laughs> it's like cloudy and kind of like sepia toned somehow.
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: There's like a random hammer hitting metal somewhere in the distance yeah.
0: some shoes on a power line swinging or something <laughs> yeah
1: yeah yeah, yeah. A, a loose dog that's so funny
0: yeah yeah totally I mean, true And it's like you know movies kind of broadcast those things sometimes actually i love those type of movies i mean i don't want to live in that but i love those <laughs> movies well
1: i think we liked it because it was fiction and now it's like oh <laughs> i
0: don't want that to be real
1: <laughs> yeah oh no definitely not that's so funny and this, you know, our conversation right now just exactly shows how um, pervasive all of this is, right? Like, you know, when we, you and I first started speaking about meeting up, I'm guessing you were not thinking that we would stay on this kind of a topic the whole no. time. Yeah. No. So interesting.
0: It is interesting. It's, I have a bunch of people that, you know, I book people many months ahead for yeah. the, for the podcast. And, you know, I mean, I have no... Set up for what we're going to talk about. I know a little bit about them. And I think, you know, let's just be humans. Let's just have a Mm -hmm. conversation and we'll see where it leads. And I think obviously what's going on is a very natural conversation because it affects all people. There's a common thread. Mm-hmm. Um, But then you start talking about dystopic futures and <laughs> sci-fi, and you know which I'm big. This is my wheelhouse, by the oh, way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: That's why <laughs> I mean, I'm big. Like Avengers stand-up. to come in. <laughs> yeah,
0: I will. You know, when you start talking about comedy, I want to go down there because I'm a big st- a stand-up comedy. Uh, person actually last night on netflix i was watching uh dave chappelle's thing where he, he earns the mark twain award for humor yeah. like this whole thing and it was very it was awesome it was That's really amazing cool.
1: yeah, he's so funny
0: he's so funny i mean i've been like a huge fan of dave chappelle for uh, like when he was till he, when he was like in his early 20s and uh-huh. stuff you know so i just who do you uh what do you watch who do you really like as a stand-up comedian
1: Oh gosh, you're really going to make me nerd out because, uh, I like really little names. Um, so my favorite, my two favorites at the moment are, um, a comedian called Kyle Ayers. Um, and he actually is doing a daily Twitch show called social distancing with Kyle Ayers,
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, where he
1: just from, um, 11 until one on, um, Pacific time, he, Oh, I think it's 10 until 12 Pacific time. But he um, just like plays games and has other comedians on and musicians on and um, just kind of a lot of levity and and joy. Um, but he the reason I originally got to follow him and listen to him was that he has a podcast podcast called Never Seen It. And it's comedians rewriting movies and TV shows that they've never seen. <laughs> And it's so funny. It's just unbelievably funny. Um, so then that got me into his stand up, and he actually was on Conan. Um, I was going to say two weeks ago, but now it's probably like a month ago. Yeah. Um, and he is so, he's just clever. I really like clever humor,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and he's just so clever, and I adore him. So, so he's fantastic. And then Taylor Tomlinson. Now she's really creating a name for herself right now. Um, I think she kind of already has a name, but she also has a um, a Netflix special and she's, she's super funny um, and clever and honest and real. So she, I, I like the two of them a lot. And then obviously I'm a born and raised South African. So Trevor Noah until oh, the day I die will yeah, be my Noah. Yeah. Um, because <laughs> I followed him when he was, um, still in South Africa and, oh, you know, awesome. doing political humor in South Africa. Um, and so every now and then he'll like pepper in a joke about South Africa that Americans just don't even realize he's making a joke. And those of us who are South Africans are sitting there being like, hee hee he, that's an inside joke for yeah. us. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Amazing. So yeah.
0: I love, yeah. I, I know all those people. I, Trevor Noah is definitely somebody that I have, uh, I've uh, gotten into life. He's like you laugh, but it's true. You know, yeah. it's like, <laughs> like he's just a funny guy. He's very I like intelligent comedy. Me you know, too. like somebody really sets up the punchline really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they also like kind of bring in their like very hardcore topics, and they're not mm-hmm. afraid to afraid to speak about it and be kind yeah. of serious, and then bring make it funny.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, with that,
0: and I think that's a, that's a real skill.
1: Yeah. And he's so that. good at it.
0: He is. He is. I, it's just, you know, we got on the, I remember it was like, what was the daily show, you know? And,
1: uh-huh.
0: I, and I was like, Trevor Noah's, I remember when he was like a sidekick or something on that show. I was like,
1: yeah, uh-huh. he's doing
0: the show. Like he took over for Jon Stewart and I'm like, this guy's hilarious. you know.
1: And I think it was a very clever move for Jon Stewart to pick him or the yeah. team to pick him because, um, not being American, I think, gives him this kind of outside perspective to the politics, which I think was a very powerful tool. Um, well, he plus was racking me up, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh my gosh, during the this may be a hot topic for hot topic for people, but whatever, it's just this is my podcast. I say,
1: You're and, in you know, charge, you're the I'm boss. in charge here, all right, I'm the captain, all right, <laughs>
0: like, and I remember like the election. Oh my gosh, I was dying during the 2016 year because he was just like destroying Trump on a regular basis.
1: He's, it's, he's, yeah, gosh, he's like, he's so fun. And I think he makes fun of people in a way that should be more offensive, but it, somehow it's not. Yeah. <laughs> I, I yeah. mean, it's still offensive because he's making fun of them, but yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, in, in my eyes, so far he can do no wrong. So hopefully right, it's
0: pretty amazing.
1: Hopefully that sticks.
0: <laughs> I hope I I'm sure it will be. I mean, it's stand up comedy is just funny. It's just an experience where like you're watching and like it takes away your thinking. You just kind of go with it. And they yeah. pull you in and you're laughing. I mean, laughter is just amazing. The feeling I, of laughter, right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I um Um, Like I said, I work from a values-based perspective in psychology, but also that's how I live my life. I would never ask my patients to do something that I'm not willing to do. Um, And humor for me is my top value. And so being able to joke or find the funny in every moment is really important to me, whether I share the joke or not, because I totally realize sometimes it's inappropriate to crack a joke, um, but that doesn't mean inside my head, I'm not like, he, hee he, that's funny. <laughs> um, and I have a sign on my front door that says, um, find the laughter in every moment. Um, and it, I truly believe every moment can, there's some laughter in it. Um, and it's a matter for me, since, since humor is a value, for me, it's about like, okay, what what's funny about this? Just because it's funny doesn't mean it's not frustrating or painful. Yeah. Um. But it still can be funny, um, which I don't think is for everybody. I don't. I don't think humor as is as valued for everybody. So I don't think that's the approach everybody should take. But that's the approach that I take, and I find it so helpful. Because um, it's it. I don't know. It brings joy. Little moments of joy.
0: It drew me to you. I could tell you that.
1: It was,
0: (laughs) I mean, I was, you know, on Spotify guests and I'm, Uh I'm very like particular about how I pick people for Uh my podcast. And it's not like a, it's just like a feeling. I'm a big feel, feeling type person. So I'm, I'm scrolling through, I'm doing my thing. I'm like, oh man, this site's great. All these people posting this stuff. It's very direct, direct line of communication, podcast hosts, guests, blah, blah, blah. Uh, scrolling through, I see your thing and you're telling and all oh, humor, psychology, and just how so you came off, I was like, Yep, I'm gonna <laughs> reach out. So this is my type of thing, man.
1: Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> she seems like she'd be fun. <laughs> That's really all I want people to think when they think yeah. of
0: me. <laughs> That's good. That's good. You know what? I have a joke for you. Okay. Yes. I have a joke.
1: Okay. I'm ready for it.
0: I you. have a joke about uh toilet paper. Oh no. But it's terrible.
1: Oh no. (laughs) 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 Oh man. How about that, that. huh? That was incredible. So I actually have to tell this story because I think this is like pure genius. So there was this woman who, and this is a true story, there was this woman who was using a dating app. And, um, she matched with this guy and she had said on her, um, profile, like, tell me a joke. And the man, um, was like, oh, would you like to hear a joke? And she's like, yes, I'd love to. And he said, what is a ghost's favorite room? Mm -hmm. And then she thought about it and she thought about it and she thought about it and she couldn't answer. And so she responded, I've been thinking about it and I can't answer. And he never got back to her ever. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God, did he ghost her with a ghost joke?
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Which I like, again, this is one of those situations like, yes, that situation totally sucks. But also like, I think that is so funny. Like, I feel so endeared to that guy, even though he did what I think is a crappy thing. <laughs> 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 I just think it's so funny. It is oh, funny. Man.
0: Man, this is mm-hmm. little jokes. You got to laugh in life, you've got, you have know?
1: got to find the humor in it. I also want to know, like, if that was a legitimate joke or if that was intentional. Because if it was a legitimate riddle, I want to know what a ghost's favorite room was, because I can't figure it out.
0: <laughs> I, I, I'm i listening to them like, yeah, was that intentional? I'm like, I, know. I don't know, man. But oh. I got I, I got it. <laughs>
1: you know? I, I never know. <laughs> you
0: never know. You never know. No, I think it's interesting that humor and psychology... Tell me a little bit about why you struck out into psychology. What drew you to it?
1: Yeah, um, when I figure it out, I'll let you know. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, um, sure. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, so actually, I had um, in high school, I had a counselor that was like, "You should be a therapist." And I was like, "Yeah, okay." Um, <laughs> <laughs> like
0: no. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, it
1: was an, it was a direct like, no, I will never do that. That sounds awful. Right. Um and then in I was a freshman or sophomore in college and I truly was like I don't know what I want to do. Um and what I truly wanted to do was I wanted to like perform, like act or um Do stand up or something. Stand up wasn't really on my mind then, but I wanted to act or something. But to me, that didn't feel like a quote unquote sensible job, um, which now I have different opinions on.
0: Sure.
1: Um, But at the time, I was like, okay, you know, universe, just send me a sign. Um, And at the same time, I had a friend who was struggling with. pretty severe mental health issues that actually led to Um, Mm self-injury. And then at the same time, my brother sent me a t-shirt for a company called to write love on her arms within a week of each other. And to write love on her arms is um, a company that uses bands and music and pop culture to raise awareness about suicide and self-injury. So here I was asking for a sign and kind of getting this, helping others with mental health issues stuff kind of like thrown in my face all at the same time. Um, and I was on the phone with my mom and she goes, well, you asked for a sign. And this seems like a lot of things all pointing to the same direction. Um, and so then I started taking psychology classes, um, graduated with my bachelor's in psych and then, um, didn't want to go to grad school. So it was like, go to grad school. And I was like, no. Um, (laughs) And um, was a nanny for a while. And I thought, you know, I can help people through teaching. So then I became a preschool teacher for a while. And I found myself getting a lot more satisfaction out of getting one child to sit still on the mat for story time. I found that so much more fulfilling than the other child who was like so far ahead that she was learning to say the alphabet backwards. Um, and I was like, maybe I'm not a teacher. Maybe I'm a psychologist. Maybe that's really truly what I'm supposed to do. Um, so then I got into, um, a D program here in Denver. Um, and went to it and now I'm a psychologist.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I did it and now we're here. <laughs>
1: yeah, i like, that's kind of, yeah.
0: Oh, very uh, condensed, you know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and here I am. I did I also, it. I did it. Well, it's it's funny, um, cause I do find myself different than many of my colleagues. Um, in that I do want to help people and I love helping people. Um, however, that um, helping people makes my the, my core feel more or more fulfilled or something is, I think, no, I don't like how I'm wording this. Um,
0: <laughs> I don't like this. <laughs> I, yeah,
1: I don't like the words. Um, basically what I'm saying is that I find that that need to be the person who helps someone else is not as strong. Um, so for me, helping others is a joy and a choice rather than this deep-seated need to be the person who helps. Mm, um, and I think there that, you go. Yeah, and I think that gives me. I know so much better this time. Come um, on. <laughs> I think. I think it gives me a lot of power as a psychologist, because I get to be um, creative with it um, because I leave the power in there, in my patient's hands. I'm like, this is on you. I'm here to help you and I want to help you. Yeah. And it's on you, which I think is very powerful. I I think taking power away from people is the worst thing we can do Mm. to them.
0: Certainly. Now, do you subscribe to certain um, like past psychologists? Now, let me see how I'm going to word this. Okay. (laughs) Now, like some people are more like Freud Mm -hmm. based psychologists or Mm -hmm. Erickson or whoever, Gestalt. What do you, do you subscribe to any of those people, the theories or what?
1: So I, um, advertise myself as an acceptance and commitment based therapist. Mm -hmm. Um, the, um, person who kind of started that is, um, Steve Hayes, who is very much still around. Um, he's at the university of Nevada, Reno, um, which is actually where I went to high school. And so, and a lot of my friends went Reno was where I went to high school. A lot of my friends went to UNR for college, mm-hmm. and some of my friends were actually participants in his studies, which I then studied in grad school. Oh wow! Um, which is just pure coincidence, but also so much fun. Um, and then another big name within that theory is Russ Harris, um, and I really enjoy his work. Okay. Um, as far as the old guys go. Um, this theory kind of shoots off of, it, it is a behaviorism approach. It's a contextual mm-hmm. behaviorism approach. Um, but Skinner. Um, uh, BF
0: Skinner. Yeah. BF
1: Skinner. Mm-hmm. And the reason I like him, because I don't necessarily do behavior modification, which is kind of where he was aimed. However, I had to read some of his things. F- I got to read some of his things for one of my classes And he's funny and it's, it's really dry humor, Um, like super dry humor to the point where a lot of people were like, I don't think that's a joke. And I'm like, that is definitely a joke. That is so funny. Um, and so ever since then, I've had like a special place in my heart for B.F. Skinner for no reason other than he's a funny guy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, he's just funny. I, I mean, don't he's know also about brilliant. His theory, <laughs> But, you know, it's like... That's so funny. Do you ever study... Uh, I mean, I think most people have gone through like, you know, very basic psychology in the past, yeah. like, you know, uh-huh. like Albert Bandura and yeah. stuff like that, uh-huh. you know, like learned helplessness and yeah. all that stuff. Like, I saw... Su- like, I don't, I'm not a psychologist, but my doctorate is in uh, behavior modification Mm -hmm. in sports and exercise settings. So I had like the full workup of all that stuff, you know, fascinated by the different theories and, um, you know, how different, you know, how that applied to different people's lives. And, you know, I remember I was like learning about Erickson and all these like stages of like despair and all this stuff. And Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't know how I feel about this stuff. Like, I don't know, like, is that, is that like, is this milestone or this point, can I go back and resolve my issues? And all, you know, it's just all this stuff I would be thinking about and how interesting it was. And then I remember I went to James Madison University for my undergraduate and as part of the program, like we had a therapist during our program, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: which I thought was awesome because it was cool to like actually have that. And then during our basic counseling skills class, I'm always curious when I talk to, um, you know, psychologists, like who influenced you or what, how does that shape your practice? You know? Yeah,
1: absolutely. I have a theory that every psychologist or behavioral health person, um, chooses the theory of psychology that closest matches the way they already think. Hmm. Um, Interesting.
0: Yeah. Very interesting.
1: And growing up, um, my mom always would be like, you get to, like, let's say I had to do a chore and I was upset about it. She'd be like, you get to be upset and you still have to do your chore. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So it wasn't like, stop crying and do the, unpack the dishwasher, you know? It was, okay, you get to be sad about it. You still gotta do it. (laughs) Right. And um, to me, acceptance and commitment therapy is, accept the, your thoughts and feelings for what they are, choose what's important to you and take action in that direction. Um, And that's coming from Russ Harris's um, uh, act made simple book. Um, And that, you know, that's a perfect metaphor for kind of what my mom did was you get to have those feelings. um, They don't have to control your behavior and your behavior doesn't have to control your feelings. Um, Which is much more powerful, I think, than don't cry, don't be sad, don't be angry. Because we are those things. Those are natural human biological responses to context. And so then it's about, well, how do you react to those things? Or how do you act in spite of those things?
0: Right. Right. Before I ask my next thing, I have another joke. Yeah. This is good because you know what? I get to bring out some of my stuff on this. This is good. I mean, I didn't make this up, but (laughs) I've seen things. I go, this is pretty funny. I'm like, okay. So a husband tells his wife, you need to embrace your flaws, honey. So she goes, okay. And she gives him a hug.
1: (laughs) Pretty good. I had a feeling that was coming. (laughs) 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 Funny stuff, man. Come on. Oh gosh. That's so funny.
0: I mean, come on you can use this stuff all right I, I mean, oh, use it I in your will. sessions is fine my
1: dad's <laughs> gonna love that joke
0: <laughs> exactly it's it's pretty funny I saw it yeah. I started laughing out loud I was like it's pretty funny yeah. actually but it's, um yeah. I was thinking do you ever get into um like healthy discussions or disagreements with other psychologists about their approach to working with people uh- Welcome to the intermission space of Dr. D's social network. Here's another joke for you. Why did the orange go out with the prune? Because he couldn't find a date. I'm sure you're thinking, this is really dumb, or this is really funny. Maybe in between. This is a space for you to explore the funny side of yourself. Do you have any funny jokes? If you do. Send them to me. I'd love to hear them. In the meantime, laugh, love, have deep conversations, and talk about nothing. This is your time to explore the lighter side of yourself.
1: Um... Sure. Yeah. Um, I, so research shows that, um, the only thing that truly matters within therapy is not the approach to therapy, but the relationship with the therapist. Mm -hmm. Um, that being said, training is incredibly important. Mm -hmm. So it's not just like, Oh, anybody can be a therapist. No, that's actually not the case at all. And in fact, you can cause quite a bit of problem for somebody if you claim to be an authority source and you're not trained to do so. However, within training, the approach you choose has less of an effect than the relationship with the therapist. So... the reason I give that to answer your question is basically as long as you are a good therapist, so you're well-trained and you have a good relationship with your patient. I don't super care what approach you're taking. (laughs)
0: Um,
1: However, I disagree quite consistently with a lot of theories. (laughs) So for instance, um, while in like the history of psychology, CBT and ACT are very close. Mm -hmm. There's a very core difference CBT says you have bad thoughts, change them. Acceptance and commitment therapy says you can't change your thoughts and feelings. If you could, you already would have.
0: So for the listeners, a cognitive behavioral theory, right? So just so they know. Oh, oh, oh
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, using, I'm using all the...
0: They're not used to this. Yeah. Really. Come on. So,
1: <laughs> um, and what's funny is oftentimes when um, medical professionals, because I've worked in um, hospitals a lot, because I work a lot with chronic medical conditions, um, doctors will um, recommend CBT to their um, patients. However, What they're actually suggesting is um, behavioral therapy, and it doesn't have to be cognitive behavioral um, because research has shown different behavioral therapies work really well with managing chronic medical conditions. Um, So yes, so will I get into an argument about somebody using that approach with their patient? No, absolutely not. Would I sit there and be like, am I going to do that totally different if I work with their patient yes absolutely <laughs> like i would never tell somebody like that's th- a wrong thought because it's mm. in my approach it's the thought that you're having like it's you can't change it now that doesn't mean that the the things that your mind is telling you are the ultimate truth that's also not the case it just means that there's no difference between the thought i am a failure and the thought of a pineapple with sunglasses on like, it's just how you react to those thoughts that changes the role they play in your life. With the pineapple, you giggle and you let it go, and then you never think of it again, and it never affects your life. Yeah. With the thought, I am a failure, suddenly that leads to, I'm never going to succeed at anything. Why should I even try? You know what? You're right. I'm, I'm not going to try. So now suddenly you've gone from just a thought to acting on that thought by not doing, by choosing to not do anything. Um, and now that thought has been given more power in your life than the pineapple with sunglasses was given.
0: You're pretty good. You know that.
1: Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I think so too.
0: I think so. I, no, no. I,
1: whenever patients say to me like, wow. That's a great question. I always want to go. It's like I was trained to ask it. <laughs> exactly.
0: exactly. Now, is there Thank a criteria for somebody that, uh, oh, you're welcome. Is there a criteria for somebody, let's say they come to you and they say, oh, you know, Haley, mm-hmm. I want to be a psychologist. Mm-hmm. What does it take? Is there a profile of someone that you think would be, or a criteria for becoming or getting into the field? Or you say, hey, you know, if you're exhibiting these qualities, this is probably not the field for you.
1: Um, so I'm sure there's research on that. So I suggest everybody go and look up the research. <laughs> um, I'm speaking for my own personal opinion yeah. um, because research has shown that the relationship is incredibly important. I think being a person who easily and comfortably creates relationships with others yeah. um, is very key. Um, and then me as a person, I believe you have to have value in the work. Um, so what is important to you about doing this work? Is it just like I can make lots of money? If that's the thing and you're good at it and, and you can do it, have that value without negatively impacting your patients, that's totally fine as long as there is value to whatever work you're doing. Otherwise, you're not going to be happy. And if you're not happy, it's going to impact Well, you're not going to be fulfilled. And if you're not fulfilled, it's going to impact the work that you do with your patients. Um, So finding value in it, whether that ranges from um, money to wanting to help others. So I guess building relationships, having value. And then the third thing would be um, being able to separate yourself from the work Mm -hmm. Um, and that one, I, I'm guessing a lot of people might argue with. (laughs) In what Um, way? What do you mean? Well, some people say like, well, it's really important to be able to kind of really get in there with your patients. And I agree. Um, however, I have found my ability to get in there with my patients when I'm with them is beautiful in the session and my ability to, hold it while I write their note, while I finish their things, while I am in the office is fantastic. And then I walk to my car and I turn on the radio and I leave it there. Um, And that's, I can only think of prior to COVID, there's only one time I can think of that not happening. Mm -hmm. Um, And to this day, I still value that I took it home with me that night um, because it was such a shocking experience with a person that I had worked with for a very long time and had seen grow up. And it was like two months before we were ending our time together. And it was horrible and beautiful. And, you know, so I took it home with me and I'm okay with that. Um, however, this work is hard if you are thinking about it all the time and taking it home with you and carrying it. Um, because it's a lot of people's shit, for lack of a better exactly. word. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, yeah. So I guess it just de- depends on who's saying it and how they're viewing what it means to not get too into the other person's things.
0: That's well said. Honestly, those three things, I think, are really well said. I mean, they're very specific. And I, I I, was really, I mean, obviously, I was thinking about the one you said just recently, but the creating relationships easily with people, mm-hmm. I think is, um, <clears throat> excuse me, a little bit. I can see that in people very quickly, mm-hmm. whether they're good at creating relationships with other people. And I think sometimes people think they are good at that, but maybe not. It's kind of like when it's always cracks me up when like people are like in these type of professions and they're not good with people like I a marriage and family therapist, but they can never stay married or be in a good relationship. I'm like, okay, what, what's going on here? Like, you know, like,
1: so I, I mean, I agree what you're saying. I also think it's really important to remember that therapists are still humans.
0: Of Of course. So,
1: um, a therapist who's like a marriage and family therapist, they know how to talk people through their marriage concerns. Chances are when they go home, they've turned that off. <laughs> 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 they're like, they're like, the therapist is back at the office. If we want them, we're going to have to go to the office and talk. Only about during
0: the these hours. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: so, That's I mean, I do, agree, I do agree with you. Um, because there are times where I like will get frustrated with someone on the internet, <laughs> um, and I'm sitting there like, "Here's the information about this, and you should, you know, read why yeah. vaccines are important." <laughs> I'm giving some opinions about myself, um, but and then I'm just like, "Oh my gosh!" If any of my patients ever found this, they'd be like, "This is the woman I'm working with." Yeah, um, and. I mean, I'm very cautious about that and I'm very careful about my like being professional when I'm being professional. And I also, I'm not afraid to talk to my patients about here are times where I've been human as well. Yeah. Uh, and yes, I'm no less human by being a psychologist. However, I am, you know, partly just a sounding board, you know? Yeah. Um, Me, not so much because I talk so much, but (laughs) that's kind of my role. (laughs) I've never had a scenario except for high school where I wasn't voted most talkative. Really? Yep.
0: (laughs) Well, I guess that whole listening thing you do a lot, I said before. You're like, no, I talk a lot. (laughs) I
1: wasn't (laughs) kidding. That wasn't a joke.
0: Let's not make jokes here, okay? It's true.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's actually something else that's very funny about me is that uh, sometimes people think I'm joking when I'm not. And I have to be oh. like, no, n- no, I'm being serious. And they're like, oh, haha. I'm like, no, <laughs> seriously, I'm being serious. No, I really
0: mean that. I mean that. <laughs> oh, <it's> so
1: funny.
0: <laughs> That's pretty funny. It was just, it's just fascinating. You know, it's kind of like our humanity creates flaws in us
1: mm-hmm. that
0: even though we do something professionally, there's obviously room for error as a human yes. being with that. You know, I always say that, With my clients, I'm like, oh, I'm professional. I'm professionally immature too. Many times, I'm just, I can be very technical and be and just like really give you the training that I have and have a doctorate. But then I could seem very like goofy and dumb and uh, say a bunch of ridiculous things. You know, I think that that humanity people enjoy that in my services with them. You know,
1: absolutely. And I will frequently say to people, like, I'm confident in my abilities. I know that I'm a good psychologist. And so it allows me, which is a gift. I realize a lot of people um, don't naturally have a lot of confidence and that's very hard. And I'm very blessed and lucky that I do. Um, What is nice about it is that I'm also, because of that, I'm not afraid for somebody to tell me where I'm doing it wrong. And I'm not afraid for, like, I frequently will say to my patients, like, when I'm wrong or when I say something that is just sounds like so stupid, tell me, please tell me, Um, and let's talk about it and let's figure out if I'm wrong or if I just said it wrong or if we're get approaching it from two different angles or, or maybe again, I'm maybe I'm just flat out wrong. Um, which I think, I don't know. I'm lucky. I think it's, it's powerful to be able to be like, Hey, I could be wrong. Please tell me when I am.
0: Yeah. What was, uh, I asked this, I've had <clears throat> a few psychologists on, I just, I really enjoy speaking to people in the, in that profession. Mm-hmm. And, I've asked this of all of them, so I'm going to ask it to you. This is one of the only things I thought, well, I'll probably ask this. <laughs> what was your first session like for you? Without, obviously, without naming any names and yeah. you don't have to be super, but what, from your perspective, what was that like the first time you had a session?
1: Absolutely. Um, so I actually was thinking about this recently because I um, found my old DVDs because mm-hmm. um, we used to have to like record our sessions. Um, and I found them in the, in a safe that I have. And I was like, I need to destroy these. And I was like, oh, I should see if I've still got my first one and try to watch it and see how horrible I was. Um, but so (laughs) I actually, so my program that I'm in, we start seeing patients obviously under supervision two weeks into the program. Um, so the first two weeks are spent on like, this is how you have a first session. and so. I am a preparer. Um, I like to prepare. (laughs) Um, So it's like prepare for everything you know needs to be prepared, and that way you're ready for the things that aren't prepared. Um, What is interesting is as I've gone through the program, that has completely gone away, and I'm not sure if it's because I don't want to do that anymore or if it's because I'm no longer afraid of being out of control as much. Who knows? Um, but so I was the first person in my cohort to get a patient. So I was the very first person doing a session in my program, in my year. Um, and it's because I worked in the clinic, but anyway, so, um, I remember just like writing out this whole, um, I made my, like, so there's like uh, background questions that we needed to ask and things like that. And I retyped it entirely on its own word document because there were also like follow-up questions that I wanted to make sure that I asked because right. we had been told that we should ask those, but instead of just like letting it come up naturally, I needed to like make sure that I had asked it. Um, and I was like, I felt prepared and I felt ready, but obviously I also felt nervous. And what was really funny and really cool was that, um, I started out, you know, very scripted, like this is the disclosure, this is the privacy, this is the et cetera, et cetera, that we had gone over. Um, and then I started asking the questions and then I started realizing that I had gone over the questions enough that I knew the future ones that were coming up. So I just let my patient talk and I was like mentally like filling in the future questions with what she was telling me. Yeah. Um, and I was like, Oh, this is how therapy works. <laughs> it's about like knowing what you need to know and letting yeah. the patient do it their way. Um, which is like, I doubt I thought about it that clearly and that succinctly, because let's be honest, I've had many years since then to like put it into a therapeutic fashion. Um, However, I do remember being like, oh, this is how this is going to work. I'm not in charge here at all, <laughs> um, which is cool. Um, I don't remember specifics about it at all because after a while, grad school sessions kind of all blend together.
0: Yeah. So. How do you think that you have grown the most? If you look at yourself then to where you're now, what it, where have you grown the most in your practice since then?
1: As a psychologist?
0: Yeah.
1: Where have I grown the most? Um,
0: These are the hard-hitting questions, you know. Come on.
1: (laughs) I know. I'm like, oh, gosh. Um, I'm just so much better now. (laughs) It's so good.
0: It doesn't matter, okay?
1: I'm just like the best. No, it's... It's how have I grown since then? I think being able to um, grow within a specific theory is really cool. Um, So when I started, I hadn't yet learned specifically about um, act or contextual behaviorism or values-based theories. Um, So I was just kind of doing generalist therapy. Um, which I think is great because then you kind of learn just kind of how to be a therapist in a room. However, then I think learning a theory that I love, um, which I also think I'm really lucky is that I love this theory and I truly believe in this theory. And I also have applied this theory in my life. So I know that it works, um, has allowed me to grow within that theory and I can, come up with metaphors and activities and come at it from different angles in a really fun way that relates to the specific patient that I'm working with, Um, which I definitely think that's definitely a way that I've grown because My experience, I've had a lot of different experience. I've worked with chronic medical conditions in children's hospitals. I've worked in partially locked um, inpatient units. I've worked in private practice. um, And I have realized this theory works in all of those in different ways. Um, I don't know. Did that answer your question? Growing within my theory and feeling confident in my theory. whatever
0: you (laughs) think it is. I mean, I don't know. I don't don't like
1: (laughs) you tell me within this conversation (laughs) where have I grown
0: (laughs) (laughs) you know I will tell you You know what I'm up for any challenge like that you You know I think I'm gonna take it from our pre to our talk off air to our talk on air Uh from it whereas I think I feel like when we were chatting because you don't know a person you know Mm -hmm. like you're just just meeting you know it's like These are the things like, these are kind of the areas I'm not going to talk about. I'm going to say, maybe say a couple of these things, but like, I can't say this type of thing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I dev, I certainly respect that. I certainly respect that. Um, but I think like, um, I have seen you during the time become more and more of what I believe from what I know of who you actually are. I feel like during this time you have opened up quite a bit. I think you, you were like that from the beginning, but I think it was like the layers as the layers as it keeps going the time keeps elapsing. The the you are transitioning into I feel like the the most central person yet you are in a sense. Yeah. I don't know, just a sense, but I I feel that with most people I talk to like beginnings like hey, how you doing? Oh, how's it going today? Oh, it's okay. And then like an hour later we're like telling jokes, you know. Yeah, yeah absolutely.
1: Well, and that's totally a metaphor for, um, that initial session that I spoke about that very first yeah. session, which was like, you know, at first I was very like, here's the disclosure and the consent. And, the, <laughs> and then finally I was just like, oh, right. We're just two people. That's, that's the thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a lot of feedback that I get back from, um, people who know me, which is like, you are you whether it's in a therapy room or on an ultimate Frisbee field or in a classroom, like you are you, um, which I think is cool.
0: I think it's like, an amazing quality. Yeah. <laughs> it's a quality. I, I strive for all the time. I am me and, mm-hmm. and all settings. So you're going to get me, you're not going to get some representative of me or like people will go, I'm not going to be in like, I heard Jim Gaffigan. I love Jim Gaffigan. Funny. I like me to talk about these people with you. It's good it's cool.
1: And I never get to talk comedy with anybody.
0: <laughs> it's fun because then he's—I like his one of his stand-ups. I can't remember which one, but he goes, "You ever have like friends and like one set of friends don't know that you're like this with them, but uh-huh. you're different with them." And he's like, "I say this to these friends. Don't tell them to the other people. They don't know this side of me." Type of thing, you know. And I strive to never be like that. I want people with whatever groups I'm in—they they're gonna get Darian. They're gonna get. Yeah the version of me that I present to every single person, because I'm me, I always want to present me in any yeah. situation, not something. And I would imagine in your line of work that you may come across, I don't know, you may come across people initially who are trying to sell you a different version of themselves uh-huh. initially. Yeah. Is that, is that accurate or no?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, It's, that, that also being said, like people who know me from grad school know a much more stressed out version of me than my ultimate Frisbee teammates, you know, so I'm me across all the versions. Mm-hmm. I'm also just like a slightly different version of that same person because it's different situation. Um, a lot of what I find therapy is, is looking at the choices we make about how we express ourselves Um, or how we choose to do or not do things. So a lot of my work is teasing that apart and then saying, do you want to keep choosing the way you're choosing or do you want to change something about it? Is it not working for you anymore? So I definitely have people coming in who like laugh everything off. And then I say, I notice whenever we start to talk about something that's uncomfortable, you immediately laugh. I wonder what that's about. And oftentimes it's about trying to relieve the anxiety. And then you find out like part of the problem they've had with other in their relationships is that they laugh in the middle of a fight. And then their partner feels like they're not being taken seriously. So then their choice to react to their anxiety is actually now getting in the way of their relationships. And so it's like, is that the the version of you that you want to keep continuing the version of you that chooses relief over connection. Um, and sometimes that's totally fine. Like, yes, like I just want to laugh. And then it's like, okay, then you get to choose that. Um, obviously we would go deeper than that, but, um, Oh, if you really want me to get on a soapbox, (laughs) I mean, I'm,
0: I'm, I'm here, you know, I mean,
1: we're here. Um, I hate the term your authentic self. I have Mm. such anger against that term.
0: We got to hear about this anger.
1: Because every single version of you is authentic for whatever you're aiming to do. So if, if you go to a... You're normally like kind of a quiet, calm person and you go to a party and now suddenly you're loud and raucous and, and putting on a show and people are like, oh, that's he's not being his authentic self. He's putting on a show. No, that is his authentic self in a party situation. However, th- he might authentically be doing this because he's uncomfortable or because he is nervous that people aren't going to like him. There could be something um, uncomfortable driving those choices, it doesn't mean those choices are any less you. It doesn't mean those choices are any less authentic. Those are the authentic choices you are making from your context um so I hate the term be your authentic self. I'm like you can't not be authentic <laughs> I'm like every every choice you're making is authentic, and now I think what they mean by that is um. Be your valued self. Um, so mm. be the person that you truly want to be and the person who fulfills you or make the choices that fulfill you rather than making choices based off of fear or anxiety or anger or depression, which sometimes those choices are also okay and the correct choice to make. Um, however, more often than not, making choices that bring you fulfillment rather than get you away from something or avoid something um, are more fulfilling choices. That was not clear. (laughs) (laughs) I I like listening
0: to you do this to yourself. All right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I can. And this is how it goes in, in session where I'll be like, so did you follow that or do I need to start over?
0: (laughs) Rewind here.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I use more examples and metaphors in therapy than I'm doing now. (laughs) <laughs> um but did the authentic self thing make sense
0: yeah no it made sense i i just have never heard anybody who had an opposition to that phrase before which is which is um it's kind of gold for me you know when somebody has a differing opinion that is not part of a, a sheep mentality about mm-hmm. something and so when you're when you start talking about it my sometimes I'm like, I'm listening, but thinking about my thoughts at the same, it's weird. And it's like, I'm like, how do I feel about what she said?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and how I first started feel? thinking like, how do I feel about it? I'm like, I don't know. Initially I was like, I don't know. And then I started thinking about like, well, are serial killers just authentic? Like, is that their authentic behavior to be like, do these things? And then I was thinking about other people, like you know, I don't know. Well, just like a bunch of stuff started going, maybe it was very grim, what I thought. I don't know. It's like
1: well, I mean, I'm a a murderino, so um, um I'm all fortune yeah, yeah. crime. But um to answer your question, like yes, I do think that's their authentic self. <laughs> um, just because they are mean, horrible decisions doesn't mean that they're not authentic decisions based on their context, right? If right. they're drive or their value is to rape, murder, kill, um, then they are making perfectly authentic decisions aimed at rape, murdering, and killing. Um, does that make those decisions, decisions that I support? No, absolutely not. Of course. But it doesn't mean that they are any less them, um, in that moment.
0: Well, somebody says, I want to be more authentic. How do you respond to that?
1: usually I'll say, what do you mean by authentic?
0: <laughs> I, I, that's what I would say. say no, I would be like, let's operationalize authentic. What does yeah. that mean to you? You know? Yeah.
1: So that's absolutely what I would say is um, like, you know, I just really want to be my authentic self. And then I'll either say like, well, what is, what do you mean by your authentic self? Um, or I'll say, what do you feel like you aren't doing or are doing that you wish you were doing differently? right? Um, because if you're not your authentic, quote unquote, authentic self, then you think that something else is more authentic. And then I want to find out what is that? Because then that will tell me something about what they value.
0: Interesting. We're getting real here. You know that? <laughs> we
1: really are <laughs> We're <Yeah>. really real. I'm <laughs> like you.
0: See, I break up stuff with little things, you know, like it's uh I like to go very deep with people. You you want to talk about the cosmos and planets and life forms. I'm I'm in, man. Me but too. Then we're gonna talk about some funny stuff too. There's gonna to be some moments of laughter and levity and
1: absolutely.
0: You know, the it balance. It's the balance, you know, and I wonder I'm I'm always fat I think it's why I got my doctorate and you know, and what I did is I'm I'm curious about human behavior mm-hmm. all the time. I wonder. Why we as humans make the decisions we make? Why or how do we grapple with nature versus nurture? I know I'd like to know that from your point of view. I think that would be interesting.
1: Um, nature versus nurture? Yeah. Man, isn't that the question? Um well, <laughs> Sorry. So my- No, that's okay. So my mind immediately jumps to those twin studies where the twins that were separated at birth, women who looked the same, had the same name and then named their dogs, the same thing. Mm -hmm. Like that blows my mind. Um, so from the way that I approach my theory, the answer is, does it matter? Like, does it matter that it's nature or nurture? Um, because our history and our past creates context. However, we don't have to make decisions based off of what decisions we've made in the past or the experience that we've made in the past. We can make completely different decisions moving forward. Um, That being said, there also are certain things that just are part of our context because of either nature or nurture. So um, if you have uh, chronic pain, or no, that's not really. If you have diabetes, right? So that's just a bio, type one. So it's just a biological thing that happened. That's going to create a, a nature um, aspect to the way that you approach your world, a biological aspect to the way that you approach your world. Now, the way that your caregivers taught you how to manage your diabetes is going to give you a nurture approach to your world. So how much is the biology of it and how much is the teaching of it. I don't know. (laughs) I can't tell you. However, they definitely both give some level of context as to moving forward. Yeah,
0: it's interesting. It's um, (laughs) no, it's I watched I listened to you. And all of a sudden, it's funny what pops up in your mind. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like your mind is like the streaming level of consciousness, constant thoughts and things. And you know, I started thinking about, I was like, oh, I got to tell Haley about this. One, is a good Netflix recommendation. Everybody, you need good Netflix recommendations. Okay? <laughs> I'm the guy for that. Just so everybody knows, I'm definitely the guy for that. I am your <laughs> Netflix amazing recommendation Here's
1: person. My email. <laughs> you start a blog. You want to know? You started a Netflix blog.
0: <laughs> I got you, man. You want to You bored? You want to know what to watch? I am the guy to tell you. No Thanks. lie. Uh, watch College Behind Bars. College okay. Behind Bars, amazing four-part documentary series about prisoners in the New York State system that go through Bard College. The system that are part of that. And when you watch it, I think as someone being a psychologist, I think it's just like dripping with stuff for you. It's mm-hmm. like the thing, and they detail. Ken Burns does the documentary. A masterful person. If you haven't watched Ken Burns. Vietnam War, a Vietnam War mm-hmm. documentary on Netflix. It's 17 hours and it's amazing. It is amazing.
1: Vietnam War makes me so sad, though.
0: But I'm telling you, you it will blow your mind because it's done so well on both sides of the equation. It, it covers all angles. It's not like, oh, America, blah, blah. I mean, it goes from the Viet Cong aspect, everything. It's just well done art. It's amazing. Anyways, you should watch that too. Okay. That'll definitely take up a lot of your time. Great. Um, but College <laughs> Behind Bars is really about these prisoners and, and some of these horrific crimes, but they get accepted into barred College and they do it in prison. And you see these incredible minds. Like some of these guys, you realize if they grew up in a better environment, they weren't in the hood, they weren't part of violence and, mm-hmm. and guns and, and abuse, Mm-hmm. Some of these people were, could be road scholars they're so yeah. intelligent and Without a doubt. nature nurture prison single fo- single mother families violence aggression you and i start. i thought about that when you were talking about it you know
1: mm-hmm. yeah no absolutely and i yeah i mean i i definitely agree that there's nate or er, nurture definitely plays a huge role without a doubt however i i have the i'm able to watch t- two twins grow up currently in my life and I imagine if it was more than two twins then it would be triplets no. um, <laughs> but um they're they're being raised in the same home they just could not be more different yeah. like just could, just because from day 1 one of them was just kind of like a smiley, giggly person who got really overwhelmed when he couldn't figure out how to walk. Whereas the other one sat quietly and watched him struggle over learning to walk, and then was like, "Oh, that's how you do it," and then just got up and did it. <laughs> um, yeah. And so there's definitely some nature to it, but also I've I've been lucky enough to live all over the world, um, and. I notice how my approach to people and culture and hard conversations is very different than a lot of my peers currently. In what way? Um, so. F- I'll, I'll give this example cause I have gotten this feedback consistently as a lot of my friends, if I'm a Caucasian female, I'm a white female. Um, a lot of my friends of color have been like, you're not afraid to like have conversations about race and you're not afraid to like bring it up. Um, whereas a lot of my, their white friends, other white friends kind of like tiptoe around it or are nervous to, um, to kind of like offend where I too do not want to offend. I by no means want to offend. Um, However, I, I don't understand why we would be nervous about having the conversation. And I think that's because I've grown up in culture where it is the conversation. Um, And so I'm not afraid to have it. Whereas opposed to in America, it only kind of recently has become the conversation. And so more people are kind of learning how to have it. Um, And that's not a nature thing. That's a nurture thing. I am lucky that I was raised in a place where the conversation was had. And so it has now made it easier for me to have that conversation in a different circumstance.
0: Totally get that. That's wonderful. I mean, I grew up in a military family, as I told you, my dad. And so... You know, a lot of and growing up growing up in a black family and you know, having a discussion was always, you know, fairly present. And I Absolutely. think what's interesting, another plug for college behind bars people, very good. Again, I'm your guy, is uh there's one student, this is a wraparound point, but there's one student, he they have to do their senior projects.
1: Mm-hmm. Spoiler
0: alert. Anyways, um <laughs> you'll still watch it. And <laughs>
1: projects in school <laughs> oh man
0: it's like intense you know it's like a <laughs> dissertation sure. or a thesis essentially yeah. you know they defend it and so one prisoner named rodney super intelligent one of the most intelligent prisoners in the program and he his basically his whole senior project was on essentially this theme of the the black messianic body
1: mm-hmm.
0: and i'm sitting there i'm like okay what is that i'm black i don't know what that means mm-hmm. you know like and he's talking about, he did this whole thing discussing like the death of Emmett Till and Trayvon Martin and all, Michael Brown and all these, and putting these different generations of uh, brutality amongst young black men together and telling this group of white academics about the black messianic body. Mm-hmm. And that when, for black people, when one of somebody in our ethnicity dies or is brutalized, you're brutalizing. We feel it as a black body. Mm-hmm. It is a messianic. It is. We feel it. If you kill one of us, you kill all of us. We all feel it. Yeah. And what was interesting. I was having that conversation with my wife, who is white, and you know she starts crying and she's she's just very moved by it. You know when we're we're getting very emotional speaking about it. And I told I was like I'm so proud that we can have these conversations, yeah, and and really dive deep into those things. And I'm I'm listening to this guy talk about it on Netflix and the show. And I'm like, I'm like sobbing because I can identify with that. You know, like, and I thought I was like, man, it's just this is amazing. Like, and I love that. I love those type of conversations. I want to push, you know, they're reading King Lear and Othello. And I'm like, that's me. I like that stuff. You know, (laughs) like it's amazing, you know, and they're learning learning uh, Mandarin and, you know, all this stuff. It's like these are great human yeah. Questions and ideas and philosophies.
1: Absolutely. And, I think,
0: and you see in this program how you can actually physically see them changing and their mind changing. Because when you read something like King Lear, it changes how you think yeah. about humanity. Education is powerful. It's powerful. It starts and you look at these stories and you go, OK, I understand violence from this standpoint in a different way because of this story mm-hmm. and the Odyssey and Odysseus and all these things and arming yourself with that changes how you see yep. the planet.
1: Absolutely. Thing, you know. I believe we as a humanity owe our children two things, food and education. Our children deserve to be fed and they deserve to learn. Um, and now learning doesn't have to be two plus two equals four. It can be, this is how you hunt. This is how you grow food. This is how you, et cetera. Um, so it doesn't have to be classroom learning, but I do truly believe that our children deserve to be fed and deserve to learn. Now. I also believe they deserve safety. Um, but that feels to me, feels like a harder thing. to What about promise.
0: love? What about love?
1: Um, yes, so love too, definitely. Come on,
0: Haley, get it together. <laughs> uh,
1: if we didn't love our children, we would have no interest in feeding them or educating eh, them. That's true. <laughs> so, yes, so these choices come from a place of loving them. <laughs> Wonderful. Yes, that, that's like Harlow's monkeys. You know, they yes. they yes. sat on the um, the monkey that was covered with fur and stuff. And then they leaned over to the wire monkey to eat the food. So they did they did want the comfort and the love. Absolutely. Just to kind of like stick with our, the thing about race, the example that I always give for people who don't understand, um, the race and police, um, connection. I say to people, watch the episode of comedians and cars getting coffee with Chris rock. Right. Um, because they get pulled over for speeding. Um, And Chris Rock is terrified. He's so scared. Um, And Jerry Seinfeld is kind of like making fun of him for being scared. And I'm saying like, even a person like Chris Rock who will get recognized easily in a car with Jerry Seinfeld, who will also get recognized very easily um, is still afraid. And if that doesn't illustrate to you, the, that what the whole body that you spoke of is feeling, mm-hmm. um, then you're not going to ever understand it. <laughs> not that you should I'm stop ter- trying.
0: No, but, I'm um. terrified to get pulled over. Literally. I told my wife and she knows she goes, please drive the speed limit, do whatever, be safe. She's like, it's different for you than it is for me. She knows she she's just aware of it. And honestly, if you listen to this and you don't understand that, I don't know what to tell you because Honestly, it is true. I'm terrified to be pulled over yeah, because absolutely. I don't know. There are people who get pulled over that are my ethnicity and bad things happen. They haven't done anything. They didn't do anything.
1: Mm-hmm. It's not the same.
0: Yeah. yeah. We're not the same when it comes to that. I think it's important to understand that, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Equality is not about being the same. It's being treated equally. <laughs> like I, I unfortunately don't have a better word for that. Um, yeah. but it's, we're not trying to say that men and women are the same because they're not. It doesn't mean that as humans, they're worth any less
0: right? because they're different. Yeah. It's, well, I never don't forget. Don't me wh- on a
1: soapbox, man. No, no, no.
0: <laughs> I, you know what these, I have never talked about this on air and stuff, but it's like, I really, I really feel that I, it's just like, I remember one time I was going to a hotel to check in and there was another uh, black person in front of me. Mm -hmm. And and it was very clear that this person was uh, from a very different place than I was growing up. You know, the the English was extremely broken, Mm -hmm. a lot of slang. Um, It was just like the the outfit, the dressing, and I could see the way the white uh, front desk person was looking at Mm -hmm. them. When they were talking, you know, and then I get up there and she started looking at me the same way. Mm-hmm. And that's the body. It's like she couldn't separate, at least I don't know, maybe it wasn't, but she couldn't separate in her mind that we were different
1: mm-hmm. because
0: Absolutely. of that. And I've experienced that many times in my life, many, totally true. And I
1: feel like this mirrors my, sorry to interrupt you, but mirrors no, no my authentic self thing is just because you speak in a different way, doesn't make you any less authentically black.
0: Yeah, of course.
1: And if you speak with, um, with friends one way and with colleagues another way, or with people of color one way or black people one way and white people a different way, doesn't make you any less authentically yourself or any less authentically black. It's just how you are authentically doing yourself within that specific context.
0: I mean, this is heavy today, man. I mean, this, this went a place I did not <laughs> we see it going.
1: From uh, the end of the world and the whole pandemic of everything falling apart to like, let's talk about race.
0: <laughs> man, this is I'm like.
1: I still somehow managed to laugh the whole way through it.
0: Uh, man, I got to tell you, I've done a ton of these. You know, I'm releasing episode 100 um, tomorrow. Oh, and fantastic. so pumped. And this is definitely a super highlight for me of these episodes. It has been you are amazing. You thank are
1: you. that is incredible. Kind. You are. Oh, thank you. You're
0: incredibly skilled, talented. Um, you're you're also incredibly flawed, which is amazing. Thank that's, you. That's yes. wonderful. <laughs> that's wonderful. That you yeah. listen, I am too. And <laughs> And I think you show all those sides of yourself and you have showed all those sides of yourself during this time. That makes for incredible, an incredible episode. Thank you very
1: much. That's very lovely to hear. Thank you.
0: No problem. Well, I got to end this, man. I got to take some time. I got a vulnerability hangover here.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: You know, but um, thank you again. Of course. Thank uh, you for
1: inviting me. What a blast.
0: Yeah, we will I'll definitely come back be in
1: touch. two hundred.
0: All right, come episode two. You want? I want the two hundred spot. You're like,
1: <laughs> I I get one hundred four or something. I so, want. Yeah,
0: you're like one hundred four. Yeah.
1: Well, four is my lucky number, so I'm okay with that.
0: It's one of those. I got to go back and look, but yeah, you're you're you're, you're in the, you're past a hundred. That's pretty good.
1: Yeah, I'm in the hundreds.
0: Awesome! Thanks for your time.
1: Thank you too. What a blast!
0: All right, thanks. And
1: I'll speak to you soon.